grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Romans chapter 3 this morning during our time in God's Word. Um, I'm sure like many of you, um, I often have a difficult time uh, respecting many of our political leaders today. Um, It's a clown show up there sometimes in Washington, D.C. At least that's how I feel. On both sides of the aisle. Truth is, they need our prayers. Some of them probably need to be replaced, but that's for a different sermon or a different conversation. As you know, probably, I'm not a big fan of our current president. I have a lot of respect for him. I'm also not a big fan of the other side either. That's not where I'm going again. That's not my point. But several weeks ago, President Biden gave a speech that I want to quote from. I don't think I've ever quoted President Biden uh, in a sermon before, let alone any other time. But he had some really interesting things to say that apply to our Bible passage today. He said this on October 10th, the Tuesday after the attack by Hamas in Israel. He said, you know, there are moments in this life, and I mean this literally, when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. The people of Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. The bloody hands of the terrorist organization Hamas, a group whose stated purpose for being is to kill Jesus. This was an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, but slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. Parents butchered using their bodies, trying to protect their children. Stomach-turning reports of babies being killed. Entire families slain. Young people massacred while attending a musical festival to celebrate peace. Women raped, assaulted, and paraded as trophies. Families hid their fear for hours and hours, desperately trying to keep their children quiet to avoid drawing attention. As thousands of wounded alive, as, as thousands of wounded alive but carrying with them the bullet holes and shrapnel wounds and the memory of what they endured. You all know these traumas never go away. There are still so many families desperately waiting to hear the fate of their loved ones, not knowing if they're alive or dead or hostages. Infants in their mother's arms, grandparents in wheelchairs, Holocaust survivors abducted and held hostage, hostages whom Hamas has now threatened to execute in violation of every code of human morality. It's abhorrent. And he continued on from there. I agree with President Biden's comments that day. It's a rare thing I do agree with him. It's a rare that a public figure, especially in today's day and age, would be so direct. He used these words. Pure, unadulterated evil, sheer evil, abhorrent. But here's what's interesting to me. It takes a massacre to draw out words like that. But the truth is, his words describe every single human being since Adam and Eve rebelled in the garden. Pure, unadulterated evil. Not just by Hamas over in Israel, but sitting in this room today. 
And I'm just going to tell you the truth from God's word today, and I want you to hear it. It's not popular to hear, and what I'm going to share with you goes against what the world says. The world doesn't see it this way. They say mankind is basically good, and, and what took place over there was just an aberration. No, that, that doesn't happen very often. Now, thankfully, that doesn't happen very often, but if it weren't for the restricting power of the Holy Spirit in the world today, you and I would be there as well. If it weren't for the grace of God, we would be performing acts like that. We're evil. And let me show you what the Bible says about that. We're in the long series through the book of Romans, and we're going to try to make sure that we're understanding his argument because you can only tackle so much of it at a time. Basically, he starts out the, the message. These are just kind of Dan's bullet points, okay? He says, love you guys, miss you, can't wait to see you. I've got some really good news for you. In fact, this good news is going to change your life. It's all about God's power. And God's power is going to bring you salvation. It's good news. It's going to change your life. The good news is that God's goodness, God's righteousness is now available to you. But before we can talk about the good news of God's goodness, I need to give you some bad news. We need to talk about God's wrath. God's not happy. In fact, he's pretty ticked off. Why is he ticked off at humanity? It's because the truth is everybody knows who God is. Everybody knows that he is the creator. And, and what's happened is they, they ignore that truth. They, they ignore the truth that God exists and they, Paul says they suppress the truth. But they take it a step further. They ignore God and they take the worship that's due to him and they give it to the creatures that he created. We call that idolatry. And that happens over and over and over and over and over again. And God says, okay, have it your way. Paul tells us he gave them over. And that has led to all kinds of sin. The end of Romans 1 talks about the sin of disobeying mom and dad, the sin of lust, the sin of homosexuality and anger and murder and gossip and anything else you can fit in that list. It's a result of not putting God in his proper place. Paul's arguing that, and the wrath of God is here because of that. But then he has to take a time out and say, as, he, as he's writing to the Jews, because the, the, typically the, the religious Jews would be like, whoa, I'm talking about those people over there. And Paul says, no, I'm talking about you too. And, and it's not just, you might have the law, you might have the covenant, that's what the, the circumcision was a sign of all that, but God's still not impressed with all that, just because you have the law, just because you have the covenant, because your heart isn't where it's supposed to be. It's all about the heart. That's what we looked at several weeks ago. And the reality is, that what that means for us is that Gentiles, us, and the Jews, were all on a level playing field together when it comes to salvation. It's about the heart. If that's the case, if there's no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, then Paul needs to, today, we're going to start at the beginning of chapter 3 and get to the middle and address, well, what good is it to be a Jew then? So we pick up that argument in chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 to 4 here first. So then what advantage has the Jew? 
you know, to be one of God's people, the Israelites, what, what value is circumcision? Circumcision was that special sign of the covenant, the relationship that God had with them. Well, Paul's answer is much in every way. Like there is an advantage to being a Jew to begin with, which is really interesting. I never saw this before. Basically, Paul's saying first to begin with, but then he never gets to a second or a third. He just gets distracted and, and goes off, and, and we'll see how he does that. So to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with what? The oracles of God, the word of God. They were God's special people, and that's how, that's how we today have God's word is, is through the Jews. That's a, that's a benefit they have. But then he stops, and he goes another direction. He says, well, well what if some were unfaithful? And the rhetorical question is it's kind of assuming they were unfaithful. He says, does their faithfulness, faith, I'm sorry, I gotta make sure I say this correctly, does their faithlessness nullify or cancel the faithfulness of God? And the answer is what? No, no of course not. By no means. He says, let, let God be true, right, true, Though every one of them, every one were a liar. They're lying, but the truth about him, let that stand true. Because as it's written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Anyone know where that quote's from? I encourage you to read your passage at a time. Scott, I figured you'd know this. This is from Psalm 51. Who wrote Psalm 51? David. David on that, that whole situation of his sin with Bathsheba, and he declares in verse four of Psalm 51, you, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you're judged. It means God's right. It's honest, true, no matter what our sin is all about. So that's our, our principle that we can kind of apply to us. Back then and still today, that God is still faithful even when we are unfaithful. Our sin, that doesn't change his character. God is holy, God is true, God is faithful. And what happens is, today we have customized gods. I want a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Kind of like when you go through the, the, the ice cream place and like I want that topping, that topping, this topping, that topping. It wasn't a little while back that uh, a man was like, I'll be nice and let the kids go to some ice cream place. I don't even remember where that was. Froyo Fro kind of place, just being real nice. $50 or something, it was crazy. The kids, the kids just kept piling on everything you can think of on there. So good. <laughs> Mom wasn't happy, but uh, I think it was vacation actually, but we're like that way with God. I want a little bit of this, I want a lot of that. Just put a little bit of wrath down on the bottom and then we'll, we'll cover it up with all this sugar. No. Our views of God are screwed up because we, we, our views are so screwed up that we view, we mess up what God looks like. And the truth is he's on his throne. He's holy. He's just no matter what we do. So our unfaithfulness does not change anything about him. He's still faithful even when we are unfaithful, which is why every week we, we try to begin with God is holy. God is holy. Put him on his throne. Next section, verse 5. Paul takes a different argument. Now watch this. I, I hadn't quite thought about this. I, I'm not sure that I've ever thought this. Maybe you have. But, but if our unrighteousness, 
okay, our evil, our bad deeds, if they serve to show the righteousness of God, you know, so contrast is important. When you, want, when you want to highlight something good, you can show something bad. So, so the argument is, well, what if our bad stuff makes God look good? Well, then what shall we say? Well, if that's the case, then God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. What kind of an argument is that? Paul says, I, I speak in a human way. I'm, I'm, just, I'm giving you an illustration just to help you understand it. He takes it a step further, by, by no means. And then he restates the argument. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, so if I'm lying, then God's truth abounds to glory. Because it's making the contrast. The more bad stuff you see, the more good it is. Which there's a, there, that's a, a good principle. But then the argument, the extended argument is, well, then why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Paul kind of takes this argument later on, helps us explain it a little bit more in chapter six, where he says, shall we keep on sinning so that what? Grace may abound? Shall we just keep on sinning so we can get more grace? And his answer is, heck no. That's really what he's saying in chapter six. And here he's saying, no, that, that, that's a silly principle to think that we're just gonna let our sin, 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 and God... That shows how good God is, and that's going to get us off the hook. He's like, no. Why not, why not do evil that good may come? Now, I'm not sure who thinks that way, but you know what? Nothing surprises me anymore with the way people think in the world. But you know, we're just doing some more evil so good may come. As some people slanderously charge us with saying, that's not what we're saying. And Paul sums it up. He says, their condemnation is just, meaning... When you sin, you should be judged. And here's the principle. God is still a righteous God when he judges our unrighteousness. God is righteous when he judges our unrighteousness. Friends, I, who are you going to believe about who God is? His word or the world? Because the world wants you to see God in a particular way and it's just not in alignment with his word. And I'm just loving you, giving you the truth about God and his word today. He's righteous when he judges our unrighteousness. And then we get to a very heavy section, verses 9 through 18. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. In fact, all that he's argued so far is that Gentiles and Jews together are not better off. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are what? What's that phrase? Under sin. The weight of sin. The, the power of sin. We're under sin. Because as it is written, so from verses 10 to 18, Paul has quote after quote after quote from Psalms, Proverbs, and Isaiah. And he's just going to tell us the truth. As it is written, none is what? Righteous. No, not what? One. There's not one. Okay? None of us. No one understands. No one seeks for God. I was always a little confused about that, and I, I kind of know where they were going with this, but uh, for years in the church world, there's what they called seeker churches or seeker movements. And I was always a little confused. Well, what do you do with this verse? Like, 
No one's seeking after God. No one's looking for God unless God is wooing him and inviting him through the Holy Spirit to know him. No one's seeking God. No, no, the all have, they've turned aside. And then it says, what's that next word? Together, they've become worthless. Like this isn't just a, oh, you're, you're that one off there. No, 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 we're in this together. We're all worthless together. No one does good. Not even one. Take this a step further. Their throat is an open grave. What they say is dead and nasty and worms and decay. They use their tongues to deceive. Again, these are all just quotes. Paul is just like, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament. I'm going to find all the quotes about how bad people are. I'm going to put them in one place. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. So it's not just what they say. Here he says it's also what they do. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Now that was illustrated for us in what's taking place in the Middle East. But I guarantee you, I find it ironic that probably these verses here uh, are all the politicians that uh, we're dealing with. We're all in this. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace... They've not known, and here's why. There is no what? The fear of God. This goes back to the end of Romans 1. They did not honor God. They were not grateful for God. They worshiped the creature instead of the creator. There was no fear of God. He was not in the right place. There was no fear of God before their eyes, which summarizes for us this truth. No one is righteous. No one is righteous. You do not have to be a terrorist to be pure, unadulterated, sheer evil, or abhorrent. Now, I used to think that everyone believed this. I think I've always grown up with a healthy dose of I'm messed up. I don't know why. Maybe it's my parents told me as a kid or something, I don't know, but I've always known I'm messed up, and I just assumed everyone else did, but it's not true. A lot of people think they're just fine. They're just, I'm, I'm you know, it's, I, I, I used to think it would be hard to convince, it wouldn't be hard to convince anyone that they were sinners, but, but people are deceived. They think they're good people because it's an issue of comparison, because they'll compare themselves to the, the Hitlers or the Hamas or fill in the blank. It's kind of like that illustration that I think I've shared it before, and it's, uh, I'm sure all of you have heard it, but uh, you got a couple guys in the woods, and uh, they see a bear, and uh, the bear starts chasing him, and the one guy stops and pulls out his backpack and changes from his hiking boots into his running shoes, and the other guy's like, what are you doing? The bear's going to catch us. It's like, I'm not worried about the bear catching us. All I have to do is outrun you. And I think that's we kind of think, like it's easy to look around and find people that are that that aren't as good as us, and as long as we're not as good, as long as we're ahead of them, then we'll be just fine. But what did Paul just say? No one is righteous. You know, as long as we're better than our neighbor, we'll be okay. But Paul's argument is we are no better. So we finish 
with verses 19 and 20. Now we know, talking about Jews, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are what? Under the law. We're going to unpack in the weeks ahead. Paul is going to use the terminology under sin, under the law, the power that they have. But at the very beginning, he talked about that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of God, because it is the power of God to give us salvation. So we're going to unpack the power of God over the power of the law and the power of sin. But it speaks to those who are under the law of the Jews, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Here's why. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So even if you're doing the works of the law, you're not going to be made right with God since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The whole purpose of the law was to show you that you couldn't keep the law. It pointed to Jesus Christ because he was the only one who could. And so you, we can unpack this in a lot of different ways, but let me just summarize it this. Even the religious are unrighteous. This is where many of us struggle because we think that if we do this, this, and this, we'll be just fine. I like the, the quote by Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest, I'm a bad man, and I'm pretty. <laughs> that kind of summarizes a lot of confusion on there. I'm the greatest, I'm a bad man, and I'm pretty. He, I don't know what he thinks about that. But just because you came to church, you come to church, just because you give money, just because you serve the poor, read your Bible, Sing, love your neighbor, don't cheat on your taxes, vote for Republicans, doesn't mean you are righteous. That does not give you any advantage before God. Because your obedience doesn't get you into heaven. His obedience gets you into heaven. We obey because he obeyed. We love him because he first loved us. Good works are good, but they come after salvation, not before salvation. So how do we respond to all this as we finish up today? I want you to think of it two ways. The world rejects it all. In fact, they would say a God of wrath is evil in and of itself because people are good. The world rejects God's plan for marriage, sexuality, life, and everything that goes with it. And, and, and they reject that and they call that good. They literally worship sin. They call that good. They become the authority on what is right and what is wrong, and they call a good God evil. They've messed it up. The world would reject everything that I've shared with you this morning from the book of Romans. But my brothers and sisters, as God's people, instead of rejection, we need repentance. And there's really two kinds of repentance I want to draw your attention to. One is the repentance that leads to justification, and one is the repentance that leads to sanctification. 
Let me talk about the first one for a minute. Every so often, I think it's just really good to just pause here at Gateway Church and say, if you've not taken the step of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, you will die and be separated from God forever. And we invite you today to repent of your sin and follow Jesus Christ. It would be our privilege, our joy to welcome you into the family of God. And so if that's any of you here today, don't leave and we'd love to talk with you about that. But for the rest of us, most of us, as believers, we hear passages like this and it should leave us to repentance. It should be reminded that as religious as we are, as good as we are, as saintly as we are, we're broken, messed up people in need of the gospel every single day. And I want to close our service. I want to invite the worship team. We're going to sing one more song. But as we do that, uh, we're going to have just a moment of prayer here. We're going to share in the communion together, and, and then we're going to sing. But what I'd like to do is, um, is, uh, is just respond in prayer. I want to let the Spirit lead, and, and I would love to, for you to just bow your heads and and um, I want us to respond together. And, and I want to just have a time of confession. And I don't mean that you're going to tell your, you know, deep, dark, dirty secrets. But I want us together to just, as God's people at Gateway Church, say to our Father together, we confess this. And would you just, um, just on, on behalf of your brothers and sisters, let's, let's just confess our our brokenness, our sinfulness. And then in a moment, we're gonna celebrate what Jesus did for us, but let's take a moment and just be reminded of our sin out of this passage. So would, would a few of you just lead out? Father, we confess that what? What, would, what? How would you respond to that? Let's just pray together for a moment here. We confess what? We confess our disobedience. What else? We are a broken people. We confess that we're a broken people. What else? Distracted by the world. What else? Confess idolatry. Kim? Yeah, just, we just don't see it. We confess that, Father. What else? We want control. Yeah, don't we? We want control. Father, we confess that. We pout when we don't get it. Yep. Out of control, yeah, which is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, what else? Father, we confess that. Yeah, there's nothing good in us, and we need the Holy Spirit to bring that out of us and to add into us the goodness of God. Yeah. Oh, we are so deceived, aren't we, Tom? Yeah. We confess, Father. We are so limited to love. Unless you teach us, Tom. Yeah, we don't know how to love. We need him to teach us. Tom, say it again. We need you. Yeah, we confess that we need you. We're a desperate people. Father, we confess that this passage is true. To confess means to agree with, and we agree with 
the truth of this word that we are sinful, broken people. What we say, what we do, there is no one who is righteous. We confess that to you, Father. Next week, I'm looking forward to um, being with you. I was planning to actually be out of town, but my plans changed, and so... uh, um, Cam Bailey is going to bring God's word to us next week and looking forward to hearing that. He's going to walk us through the end of Romans 3 because the whole thing shifts next week and we start to talk about the righteousness of God. It's beautiful stuff. It's a little you know, sneak peek here that uh, Jesus is going to fix it all. He's going to be our propitiation. He can define that next week, but, but he's, our, he's our substitute. He's, he alone is the one who appeases God's wrath. And so this morning, if you have already received God's gift of salvation, I'm going to invite you to the table. We celebrate communion every week here because it's just an opportunity to connect and say, God, thank you for what Jesus Christ did. And there's going to be a piece of bread, a cracker that reminds us that his body was broken for you and me. And there's going to be some juice that that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. So we're going to take communion on our own today. So I'm just going to invite you to come and receive that and come back to your seat and you can take that and then we're going to celebrate together um, communion. But Father, we just pause now. We say thank you for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And We know that this has been a, it's a hard thing to hear of how broken we are, but it's easier to hear when we know that there's a Savior who appeases your wrath. So we thank, we say thank you for Jesus today. It's in his name we pray.